Hey, what's up? This is Filmstreak. My name is Rob, and every week I'm going to talk about some new movies I've watched. And not necessarily new releases, but just things that I've maybe never got around to. Maybe it's a classic that I've just been kind of putting off for too long. Maybe it's something that just is a recommendation, popped up on my um, Netflix homepage or whatever. Um, so I'm going to go through that every week. So thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out. If uh, you're looking for more episodes, I'm I'm watching something new every day. It's like a whole new adventure, new worlds, new characters. It's it's just actually been a lot of fun going through some of these films and learning some new things and seeing some things that I probably didn't appreciate or just went overlooked for too long. So check out other episodes if you like. Otherwise, let's get into it this week. But now what we're going to do is, since this is Valentine's Day, I'm going to talk about some romantic films, some films about love and all the things that come with that. But we're going to take a little bit of a different approach with this. We're going to look at some different types of romantic films. So, look, here's here's where I wanted to start. I want to at least get let's get a base level going. OK, let's get the foundation. It's a film I had never seen before and I had always heard about it. And it's got actually some kind of personal relevance to things uh, in my life or in my family, but I, I just wanted to finally get around to watching this. And that is The Notebook from 2004. Um, that is number 30 on Film Streak, and that is directed by Nick Cassavetes, stars Ryan Gosling, um, stars Rachel McAdams. And, you know, part of me has always wanted to see this because I've heard that it is relevant to, um, you know, people who are dealing with family that is suffering from uh, older age conditions like Alzheimer's or, or dementia and these kinds of things where basically, you know, the mind starts to go. And that's really, um, it's really hard to deal with in reality uh, when you're faced with it, like, um, on a daily basis and, and you see someone really struggling with it. But, you know, this film, I like that it takes an approach that shows the brighter side of that or the, the better side of that. And by that, I mean, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, this is a film that is about a man who is reading a story to a woman in an elderly care facility and it's the story of a young man who meets this young girl and they fall in love over the summer. It's kind of a, just a young love summer, summer romance type of situation. And, um, you know, it's, it's also set against the background of the South and the differences in uh, cultures in terms of like blue collar workers versus like the aristocratic kind of upper class um, society and how these two people don't really have similar backgrounds and yet they fall for each other and they, they love one another and it's in a, in a deep way, in a meaningful way. And so the struggle there is these two young people trying to find a way to be in each other's lives when everything around them says this, this is not supposed to happen. This doesn't work. And eventually they they kind of go their own ways in their life and they do reconnect at some point. And throughout the film, you're kind of watching this happen. And it's really done in a very kind of um, almost a classic way. 
like a a, a, a love story or a, a film that would have been made maybe in the 50s or 60s. It just has a very kind of classic feel to it. You know, it's it's almost a little uh, chaste and a little bit um, um, old fashioned. Uh, but it does feel contemporary in the sense that the characters feel real and the performances feel real. And that's always, that always hits better with me than what films maybe from that era really were made, uh, the way they were made. So I like that, uh, that this one really takes a, a, a little bit more of a modern approach to it. And so, uh, so you've got this context of these young people falling in love and trying to find a way to be with each other and have a life together. But the framework of it is all about this older man reading this older woman, a story about these two. And you start to learn through the story, through the film that these two people, this older man and this, and this woman he's reading to are the younger man and the young woman. And he's reading her this story because He's just holding on to hope that she will remember this because she's lost her memory. She's lost her recollection of, of him and their life together and their family, their children. And throughout the film, you start to see this all come into play and you realize what, what is really going on here. And, uh, you know, there's a moment towards the end of the film where she does remember something he says, uh, just the, the, you know, she puts the pieces together and realizes that she is the man that he's been reading about. And it's, it's a kind of, it's a powerful moment in the sense that that, that feeling of knowing someone so deeply and then seeing them kind of leave you, but to return for a moment, you know, there's, there's a, there's a point where he says, uh, I, you know, I basically, I may not have you here. You may not remember me for maybe more than five minutes and then you're gone again. And th that's a reality and it's hard to deal with. And so I like that this film really does take the approach of, of showing that, that sense of hope and, and even the agony of, of loving someone and wanting someone so deeply that, I mean, whether they're incapable of it or, or an unable to, to return it, and you just have that need for them to, to recognize you, to engage with you again on that level. And I mean, that says a lot. I mean, that's one thing if it's, um, you know, um, young lovers or, or, but, it, you know, especially when it's family, when it's someone that you've always been around and you've always known, that's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to take that and, and accept it. And so this film really gets to the core of that by the end. You know, you, you see characters that are dealing with, or, or they're trying to find a way to cope with that situation. So I thought it was really powerful. And, you know, all of it is set in this story of, what it means to be young and in love and confused about what you want in life and what is expected of you by your family or by, you know, society around you. And, you know, the, the characters in the story, they do 
take different paths in life. And Allie is the one who is probably challenged the most. Um, Noah, the young man, play, played by Ryan Gosling, he does take an approach of he wants to be around her. He wants to have a life with her. But since he can't do that, he puts his energy into something. And some of it is self-destructive. Some of it is actually productive and constructive. But her path and her approach is very different in terms of she can't have a life with him. So it's almost like she settles for a life with someone else, somewhere else. And that's hard because she does get invested in it. Um, You know, there's another man that's in the picture, but ultimately she comes back to what her heart tells her. And that is that Noah is the guy for her. And so that kind of deep sense of love that you, it's like undeniable. I think that's what's, I I guess that's what's the most powerful about the film and the story, but it is also true for when you see them later in life, you realize that this is something that goes beyond a summer or, uh, you know, just kind of a fleeting thing. It is like a deep, powerful, emotional connection that they have. And I, I don't know. I think that's really, um, the strength of this film, you know, I guess it plays for different people in different ways. Um, different people might see different things out of it, but the revelation at the end and, and how this relates to someone, trying to hold on to somebody that is is just slipping away just because of time and age um i i don't know i just, i really found it moving and effective and something that i i see now why it's really kind of a modern romantic classic um but at the same time it's uh it does have kind of an old fashioned style to it um, a sensibility, but I would say, you know, if you're looking for something that really will hold up, that is really, um, you know, really works for anybody that would watch it. I think now, if you want to take like a cynical approach, yeah, you might find a lot to kind of pick apart and things that don't really, um, see, they seem a little bit, uh, saccharine, I guess, but I think if you go into it in an op- with an open mind and the idea that this is about love and how deep it can be for people, uh, I I don't know. This is this is pretty much it. So I would recommend that one wherever you can see it. I mean, Valentine's Day is here, so it's probably all over the place. You can find it streaming. You can you can find it anywhere. I think anytime. I think this is since 2004. I think it's been pretty heavy in the rotation. So that's the Notebook. Now, let's move on to one that is much older, but uh, also something that uh, I I wanted to see. I was intrigued by when it came out, which was so long ago. But number 31 is Something Wild, and that came out in 1986. And that is directed by Jonathan Demme. And I'll tell you, this was a film that I didn't understand in 1986, when this came, I remember it coming out. I remember seeing like I don't know trailers or commercials for it, but I didn't really understand what this film was. But I did know that it, it was intriguing in the sense, like the just the premise of it. Jeff Daniels plays Charlie. He's kind of just a regular, like a everyman, just working a 
an office job in New York City. And, you know, it's it's the the instant that he his path crosses with Lulu, played by Melanie Griffith, and she's a little bit of a of a grifter, a little bit of a um uh I don't know how to say it. She's just a wild card. And I think that's the the point of the of the title and the point of the story is that Here's a guy who's just on his path in life. Seems like he's just, you know, doing his thing. And this woman enters his life and really challenges everything he maybe believes about what he's doing in his life and maybe even um, the direction he's headed. And so they kind of get swept up in a, in just a, the moment of um, a road trip, essentially. Um he kind of falls for her and, uh, you know, goes to her hometown. I think it's in, like in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, actually, and uh, ends up going to her high school reunion. And you start to see that it, it starts to be revealed that she's not who she like, she's not who she said she was. And she's got other things going on with her family and with people from her past and, and just her outlook on life. And you also start to see that he's not who he seemed to be. You know, he seemed to be just a everyday man, married with kids, living a, a life in the city. And turns out that is all not necessarily the case. And, you know, maybe it's through his own doing or just through uh, negligence or, or whatever that that's all come apart. And he's kind of on his own. And that's why it, you learn, that's why he went with her. That's why he just got swept up in this moment with her. And so their relationship is, it started based on just lies from both sides. And I think that's where it's, it's a little bit of a challenging watch. If you look at it through that lens of these characters are both going along on this ride and they both believe the wrong things about each other. So yeah, that's part of the story is they have to work through this with each other about the, the misunderstandings of who they are and who they've purported themselves to be. And so, you know, it really gets like it really changes direction when Ray Lota comes in as Ray, who is uh, someone from Lulu's past, whose name is also actually Audrey. And when he kind of comes into the picture, um, his energy is very different and he doesn't want Charlie around. He wants Lulu, Audrey back in his life. And he really just is a menace to all of them. And um, it, it get, even gets down to like kind of a violent conclusion uh, and actually a very violent conclusion. But, you know, the, the, ultimately the story I feel like is about uh, for for both of them, for for Audrey and for Charlie, it's more about the way I see it about understanding the importance of living life, right? Not just kind of moving through life or letting life happen, but living it, right? Enjoying it. Um, the smallest moments to the biggest, you know, changes in your life to really experience them. Don't just kind of let them happen. And there's even a, a, uh, there's even a, a thematic thing of 
these two characters were maybe in a way hanging on to earlier versions of themselves or, or the people that they were at some point. And they needed something to maybe push them or show them that there's more to it. Like there, you still have work to do and you, you can become a better version of you or grow up or whatever you want to call it. But sometimes you need something in your life to help you do that. Uh, or, or you need a person to come into your life to help you see that. Um, uh, it's, it's, I think now if you made this today, it'd probably be a little more fine tuned and just a little faster and a little more edge to it. But that said, I, I can see why it's, it, it really made a lot of these people, a lot of the, the acting and the, and the directing of it really stands out as something that's fresh and, and fun in a way. So, um, I would say if you want to see it, check it out. Um, I saw it on, um, where did I see it? I saw it, I think it was on Amazon Prime, but I know Criterion has an edition of it. I actually have it right back here. Um, and so that's one that uh, you might uh, you might find and just check it out. Give it a shot. Um, it, it's definitely an 80s film. So if you like that, if you're looking for something that really has kind of an 80s era vibe to it, this is it. Uh, the music, especially, um, the, I think the opening, the opening song or opening credits is David Byrne. And there's a lot of good music in it that really is of that era, but, but works. It still holds up. So give that one a shot. That's something wild. 1986, Jonathan Demi, check it out. Now let's get to one. We're going to fast forward. We're going to jump up now to, um, number 32. 500 Days of Summer. And that is from 2009. And that is, uh, let's see, that's directed by Mark Webb, who went on to do some Spider-Man movies. Um, and uh, look, I just talked about something wild where you have like the kind of everyday kind of plain guy that falls for this girl who is uh, kind of a, a dynamo. It's just like a magic, just, um, you know, that can't be contained. And so this is almost the same premise, but he doesn't see things clearly. Like he's seen, the story is told from his point of view and it's conveying his frustration, his adoration, uh, all of his feelings, but they are basically immature. He's, he's, he almost talks about this situation like he's a kid. And I could see where maybe that's where there's some kind of issues with the film in terms of he's talking about it just like a typical guy and how he's, you know, in love with this woman, but at the same time, he hates this woman. And whereas we don't really get her full side of it, you know, we see some of, some of her, I guess, reactions to things, but we don't see her full side of the story. And so it's not, is it truly a love story if you're only hearing one side of it? I don't know. I I do like that it does a couple of inventive things in terms of the filmmaking. So I'll say that. I mean, there's a musical number. There's actually a full musical number in this film to Hall and Oates, uh, You Make My Dreams Come True, which I feel like must have been done before and maybe it has, but the way it works in this film 
and the way it's executed was actually really fun to watch. You know, maybe out of context, it doesn't quite make sense or it doesn't seem like it should work. But I thought it worked. I thought it was good. So that um, and there's a there's a sequence in the film later in the film where as we're starting to understand his side of this and how he's viewing this relationship and how it's developed and even how it's coming apart. There's a sequence where we're seeing his expectations of meeting her or getting together with her um, for a party. We're seeing it split screen. We're seeing his expectations and, and the actual reality. I thought it was interesting because it showed, at least it showed the power of just, just visual cinematic storytelling. You know, some of the editing, you can tell like some of the, the shots when you see them side by side, they're exactly the same, but then the cuts are different. So characters are looking here versus what is really happening where they're looking over there or they're, they're, they're hearing different things or they're reacting to different things. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, just a clever way to approach something like that versus only showing one side of it and having to imagine the other, the the reality of something. So um, I think ultimately the 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 power of this film, like where it works, is that it does show the ups and downs of relationships, right? Of of modern um, young relationships where things are great, then things happen, and maybe things aren't great at some point. And, you know, the roller coaster that ensues, right? There, there's so many different things that can happen between people, around people, that um, it's hard to know always what's going to work and what doesn't work in a relationship. And so this one was at least a good exercise in showing that it can be hard for people. And it may not be hard for one person in the relationship, but it could be very hard for the other. And it's it's not... You know, just because you're in a relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you both see things the same way or experience things the same way. And so I thought this was at least a, an interesting example of how to illustrate that. And so, you know, it says right at the top of the movie, like, this is a story about a boy who meets a girl, but it's not a love story. And that's um, that's pretty that's pretty much it. I mean, it. It certainly goes that way. You certainly think this is going to be about a, a romantic relationship, and it is in some ways, but that's not the point. You know, the point isn't that these two fall in love and have a life heavily, uh, happily ever after. That is just not how it's going to work here. Instead, it's about it's about what happens when there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what each person wants in a relationship. So if that's the point of the film and the story, then I, it mission accomplished. That's what it does. And I can see where some people have issues with that because is it ultimately a one-sided story? Yes. Um, is it at moments immature? Sure. Um, and then there's, you know, is it even a fantasy in a way that this guy meets this girl and she's everything you know she's everything that's perfect that he wants yeah that's that's a fantasy because that doesn't really happen but is it also honest about 
the the power of like unrequited love, like love that just can't be returned and can be frustrating. It can be heartbreaking. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's ultimately, I think what this film is about. And by the time you get to the end, you see that he is going to be okay and she is okay. And their lives, whatever they mean afterwards, they're, they're going to be okay. Both of them. So no one is ultimately, you know, no, no one's harmed in the sense of that. These characters are not uh, miserable after this story is done. And I think that's important because that's just, that's how life is. You're not always going to be happy or always going to be sad. You're going to have up and ups and downs. And so that's what we got here. And so I, yeah, maybe it's problematic if you just take it as, why isn't this story wrapping up with a nice bow on it? Well, that's not the kind of story it is. So uh, I would say in that regard, give it a chance um, if you happen to see it. It's actually really fun. It, it feels very light. I like the performances and, and everything about the way it's you know produced and, and it looks good and all of those things. It, it, it actually is smarter than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the, the, the writing and everything here really works for me. Um, if, if you're concerned about, is it really showing everything to do with a relationship? Maybe not, maybe not. And maybe you might not like that and that's okay, but I would say, give it a shot and see what you think. All right, let's move on to, uh, let's move on to a few more. I'm going to get through this next one really fast because I don't really have a lot to say about it, but I do want to talk about it because this was the one that I felt like I probably went out the furthest on a limb, but I just wanted to see it. I was just intrigued by it. Number 33 is Warm Bodies from 2013. And as directed by Jonathan Levine, uh, stars Nicholas Holt and Teresa Palmer. And this is a film that just on its face, I'm like, I don't know how this could work. It's a zombie film where... A guy who is a zombie falls in love or finds a way to have a relationship with a girl who is not a zombie. And even, you know, the names of the characters, I think it's very clear what they're going for. His name is just R because as he explains in a sort of zombie narration, he can't remember his name. All he remembers is R. The sound R, the sound of the letter R. So his name is R. Her name is Julie. Now, you know anything about Shakespeare? You know anything about Romeo and Juliet? There you go. Two young people who fall in love who can't possibly be in love and who are I, is ill-fated star-crossed lovers, right? Okay. That's basically the premise. And the thing that I... I knew could be an issue and I'm sure making the film, they did their best to make this work, but I mean, you basically have to rewrite a lot of the rules, the, the quote unquote rules of a zombie movie or a zombie story. Uh, cause in this movie, <laughs> zombies talk, zombies have emotions, zombies run and walk. Um, and, there are things that are worse than zombies that are also zombies. But uh, 
the ultimate challenge, I guess, is that this girl finds a way to have a relationship with a zombie who can communicate, first of all, but also can sense like there, there's something there. And, you know, everyone around her is quick to just, you know, unload on zombies, but she finds a moment or, or something in her that says, no, give this guy, a ch- give this guy a chance, give him a shot and see what happens. And so that's, um, you know, I, I guess that's where the big leap has to happen with this one. If you buy into that, you buy into the rest. I just had a really hard time with it. So, uh, you know, there's a couple of things in here that I, I think thematically are interesting, but they're not necessarily new. And that is, you know, he does his best to overcome his limitations and, and show his feelings to her and gain her trust. And, you know, through that, she finds a way to, to, I I, I guess, be inspired to show others around her to show the world that things can be different, that they can change this, that they don't have to just kill zombies that somehow they can get along with zombies. And if you're already bought into the premise, then you, this might work for you, but this is where I'm just, I'm waving the whole thing off. I just, I just don't, I just don't know. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't land for me. And, um, I do like that. It has some interesting, it has some funny kind of clever pieces in it. Uh, some of the writing, some of the, even some of the direction, um, and some of the overall themes of acceptance and, and forgiveness and, and understanding, you know, a different culture or how, you know, things can change in society, all that stuff. It's all cool. It's all very high minded and you know, noble stuff to, to work into a story, but I, I don't know. I guess because I've seen too many zombie movies, it's really hard to it's really hard to get behind this whole rewriting of what those things are. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd rather probably just stick with traditional Romeo and Juliet at this point. So anyway, that's the Born Bodies. Um, if you're into horror movies, if you're also into romantic comedy type movies, then this might be something you want to check out. But I'm gonna just give that one a. That's a, let's say that's a soft pass. Okay. Just don't worry about it. Just, you know, let it go. It's fine. Look, everybody who's in the movie, they've gone on to do other things. They're fine. It's okay. All right. Let's move on. Number 34. This was one that, uh, I, I'm almost ashamed that I hadn't watched it, uh, up until now because there's so much of this filmmaker's stuff that I just, I think is amazing. But this is, She's Gotta Have It, from writer-director Spike Lee, uh, from 1986. Also from 1986. And so this is his first feature film. And right away, you can see, you can see his vision. You can see his, his ideas right there from the opening credits or the opening, um, Shots, uh, the, it's like black and white street photography and just people in different situations uh, on the street and in New York. And, you know, you've got his father, Bill Lee, did the music for this. So that kind of jazz score that is in a lot of his films um, throughout his career. But here it just like instantly strikes as like, oh, this is something different. 
Let me just tell you what this film is about in case you haven't seen it. Like me, what an idiot. She's got to have it. It's about a young woman living in New York and her name is Nola Darling. And she is basically doing her thing. She's got three different men in her life. She's got relationships going with all three of them at the same time. And to her, that's just what she wants to do. And to them, though, it's a problem. Some of them are really not having it. Some of them are just confused by it. And none of them really know how to confront her about it. And so as the story unfolds, you start to see like they are starting to realize there's no, there's no deeper attachment. There's no, there's no deeper meaning to their relationship with Nola. And so they start to get, uh, they get frustrated. They get uh, outraged by it. Uh, she invites them all to Thanksgiving dinner. So, you know, the, all four of them can kind of have it out and get it all cleared up. None of them are into that. They all want her for themselves and they all want her to live the way they live. And, you know, the idea that she, she knows that, I'll put it this way. There's a point in the film where it's clear, like she doesn't really know what she wants in, in life, like what she's quite looking for yet, but she knows she doesn't want it with these men. She knows she doesn't want what they want, put it that way. And that's a big part of the film. And I think coming out in 1986, um, it maybe was, it, it was kind of revolutionary, the thought that, you know, this, this young woman, how does she not know that she needs to be in the relationship with this guy or that guy or that guy? Because these are the things they can do for her. But look, I mean, today, like that is clearly the thinking of any young woman is I'm going to do what I got to do. And it's not dependent on this person or that person or what they can add to my life. I'm doing my life myself. And so, you know, ultimately, it's a story about a young woman who's searching for something, even if she's not quite sure what it is, but also realizing like and accepting her own nature you know that she's she's learning about people she's trying out different people right and look nobody gives men any shit about doing that so you know when the tables are turned it is all it's all fair right so she's dealing with her ways of just seeing other people seeing different people and seeing how it affects them. And so ultimately, you know, the way the story unfolds is that she just kind of ends up cutting ties with all of these guys because it's not about her trying to fit into their way of thinking or their lifestyle. She's got to do herself. She's got to take control of her life and her fate and ultimately do what's best for her. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm, I'm champion for that. So I like that this story is done so smartly and for being a, a, a filmmaker's debut, you know, I, I can see why now watching, having watched it, that 
that it was almost undeniable that Spike Lee was going to do interesting, smart, and and powerful stories like this because it's all here. And so I thought that was really, it was really interesting to see the writing in that, the the performance of that is that this, this character, we're not going to make her subject to whatever these men want or whatever the, the filmmaker himself, also a man wants, right? It's, it's, I think that's the, the brilliance in this is that Spike Lee was smart enough to make this film, write this film and, and direct it, but know that his character is a woman, which he is not, but he understands that even his film can't contain her, you know? And I, I don't know. I guess that's really taking it out into like a bigger kind of existential kind of thing. But uh, I just really think that, uh, I don't know, this film is a lot more than I expected it to be. And so if you like any of Spike Lee's movies and maybe more of his earlier stuff, because he, you know, he has grown and, and changed and developed his style over time. But, you know, a lot of his earlier films like Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever and uh, you know, maybe that '90s era Spike Lee. If you liked a lot of his films there, and you haven't seen this yet, go see it. Find it somewhere. I mean, I I found it on Netflix. You know what? There's even a series on Netflix. They started up a series, which I don't know if it's still continuing, but they did kind of reboot it. Um, and I think Nola's even in the show. Um, maybe as an older stuff. I haven't seen it. I just saw the film. Give me a break, okay? But anyway. That's, she's got to have it. Definitely check that one out. All right. Now let's get to the next two here. We've got to get through these faster. Um, I'm going to talk about here, number 35. This one is another classic that I, I just never saw. And I never thought I had an interest in seeing. That is 16 Candles. Written and directed by John Hughes, the great John Hughes. And um, I'll tell you, this was one of those films that I grew up kind of knowing about. Like I, I do remember at that, that era, the mid eighties, like this breakfast club, um, was it pretty in pink? You know, those, that kind of run of films, John Hughes films that, uh, this one I just skipped over because I honestly didn't understand what the story was about. And I'm really, I feel, feel pretty stupid about it now, but if you haven't seen it, it's about a young girl, Samantha. She wakes up on her 16th birthday and her, basically her whole family just has forgotten that it's her birthday. And they're more focused on her older sister who is getting married soon. So they're getting prepared. Their family is coming into town, staying with them in their house. And, um, you know, the, the idea that she's just gotten overlooked in her own home with her own family on top of everything at school that she's going through and, and boys and being 16 years old. Um, it's a lot that <laughs> I guess, you know, I didn't, I didn't really appreciate or, or, or understand. It just wasn't something that was in my worldview, but now like I have a 16 year old daughter, so I can relate a little bit to some of these things that, you know, someone that young is going through from that perspective um, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I think it's interesting the way the film 
with the links it goes to to show her point of view. So, okay, so here, let me just say this. This movie came out in 1984, and it's rated PG. And I think within, like, the first 15 minutes, somewhere early in the movie, there's a shot, or a couple of shots, of a young girl, like a high school age girl, fully naked, taking a shower, like in the school showers, the gym. And I just don't know how that would happen in a rated, in a, in a PG rated movie today. But also on top of that, cause that one just kind of took me back for a moment. I'm like, wait, what? Also though, throughout the film, the characters that some of the other characters that are around Samantha, I mean, the racism, the sexism, the, I, so many of these characters are just horrible. Like the the things they say, the the behavior that, I you know I think that this movie couldn't get made today, at least not in this form. Some of it would be so much more, uh, you know, sensitive or or or, you know, it'd be so much, uh, it'd be so castrated. Put it that way. And. I think if you watch this movie only with that sensibility in mind, that this is unacceptable or this is offensive or whatever, you're going to have a hard time with this movie. But if you look at it through the sense of this is intentional, like these people are intentionally horrible around Samantha, and she's the only one that seems to understand like how horrible they are, then I think it starts to make sense. Now, I don't know if it was intentional. I mean, this was made almost 40 years ago now. So maybe, you know, maybe this was the thinking. Maybe this was considered acceptable. But, um, I mean, there's, if you've never seen the film, the character of Long Duck Dong, who is a, a foreign exchange student, who is the target of so much... Um, Racism and xenophobic comments and mockery. And I mean, it's, it's funny on one level, but it, you know, you step back from it just a touch and you're like, this is not, this is not cool. But at the same time, he's also horrible. So is it okay to make fun of him? Because he's also a creep. Now, I, you know, I, I think, the fact that Samantha is the only one that sees all of this. Like, okay, so people either don't see her or they see her as an object. You know, Anthony Michael Hall is in this movie as a, I think his name is Geek. He's just a little creepy kid who is really just trying to be, you know, thinks he's some kind of ladies man or something, some kind of player, but he's just a little punk. And, you know, all of his angles are, how can he get in with some girl? And it's it's and it and it's all the kids that are around him, right? So it's like everybody is horrible around Samantha. And so I, in in a way, if you look at it that way, it's kind of a downer. But I mean it is look, it is funny. There are it is a comedy and there is comedy in it. And so I I think if you don't take it too seriously, don't go in looking to get your feelings hurt, because it will happen if that's what you're looking for. Instead, go into it looking that, looking for 
the story of a young girl who's trying to make sense of the world around her. And yeah, these people are weird and creeps and assholes or whatever, but ultimately she'll come out of it okay. We'll be okay. And those people will get theirs, right? They're jerks or whatever. They're going to get theirs though. It's coming. And so I I can see why this is a classic. I can see what so many people, let's say like my age or who, people who grew up in the 80s, revere this as like one of those realistic coming of age stories. Like for me, it's Breakfast Club. That's the one I kind of hang on to. But it also, that one also represents so many different aspects of the same experience. This one is a little more targeted, a little more, um, it's kind of cornered the market on the, the teenage high school girl experience. Um, at least in that time and during the eighties. So, you know, I would say give it a shot. It is funny. It does have some funny parts in it. And, uh, but there's kind of a bigger message that if you look too hard, I don't know, it might rub you the wrong way, but either way, check it out. Now we got one more here. And this was one that, um, I mentioned in a previous episode that I've, I've seen something from the year 2017 every week so far. And this is that one for this week, somehow. It wasn't intentional. It just happened to be, this is the one I wanted to see, and I put it on the week uh, to, to, to get this one in. So this is The Big Sick from 2017. And this was directed by Michael Schalter, uh, stars Kumail Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan. And if you don't know the, the background of this, um, this was... I think loosely based, I mean, it's probably semi-autobiographical, but it's loosely based on the real, you know, incidents uh, and the relationship between Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, and I guess girlfriend at the time, Emily Gordon. Part of this film is, part of this film is a little bit of the kind of culture clash of his, as I would say, like traditional heritage and background with his family and, and his parents not understanding some things about how he wants to live his life that are uh, kind of, you know, standard American ways versus um, things that, and, and traditions that might have, they might be holding on to from, you know, their life in Pakistan. So I, I feel like for anybody of, a, you know, of an, immigrant background or, or just an ethnic background with such um, such tight holds on on traditions and um, you know beliefs and that kind of thing that uh, this would probably ring true in the sense that it's hard to let those things go sometimes and it's even harder to not just let them go but push them away to kind of denounce them. Because it can be so ingrained in you or ingrained in your family that uh, it can be hard to to look those things in the eye and say, I don't want any of that. And so that's part of this film. Part of this film is him dealing with his background and, and his heritage and knowing some of the good things about it, but also knowing that he wants something different. So that's part of it. Now, the other part is... One of the different things that he wants in his life is he meets this character of Emily and just through 
just through, uh, I don't know, their, their chemistry with each other. They find a, a real connection there that he is open to. He's ready to, you know, find his way into a, a life with her, but he still has the baggage of his parents and their ideas about arranged marriage and, and setting him up with someone. And so that, you know, collide, that collides with her and, and, and his ideas about a relationship with her. And, um, you know, you would think, okay, well, that's the end of the movie. Like that's a film right there in itself. But then the next chapter of it is that she gets sick and he's kind of the first one to respond. And so through that, he he's able to reconcile, at least for himself, like, well, my family and their beliefs and the life they want from me is not the life I want. This person who I am, at least for the moment, committed to seeing through this has a real impact on his life. Um, and, yeah, and so the other side of the film then is about the toll that serious illness or, or even like a tragic event, the toll that that can take on everyone around the person that's affected, right? So you've got Emily who is in the hospital in a coma. She has no sense of what is happening to her. She has no, she's, she's unconscious. But Kumail, her parents, his friends, even his family, they're, they're feeling all the, the ripples of that, you know, the, the, all the, the aftershocks of this moment, this illness that is happening to her. They're, they're all hitting everybody in different ways. And I thought that was actually the more interesting thing about the film is that because I've gone through this and, and I'm sure many people have, but to have to go through an experience like that where you're not sure if someone is going to make it out of a of an illness or a procedure like surgery or, or something really possibly life-changing, if you're not sure that person's going to pull through, but you're there with the hopes and the the belief that it will be okay, or at least you're there for support, you know that that can still be hard. That can be hard to have the strength to stay, stay, to stay vigilant, to stay focused and to keep, keep that hope alive. Right. So when you see the way it's played out, I, I thought it was very authentic feeling. It felt very, very realistic to how people react in different ways to this kind of adversity. And, you know, he looks at it in a sense, like, I'm just trying to do the right thing. You know, it, it, the the film sets up early on that he's kind of just a really weird, unnecessary liar. He just lies about things because he doesn't know how to confront the truth. And he doesn't know how to, you know, maybe face some parts of reality that are just uncomfortable or, um, you know, unusual. So he just lies. And he gets caught in it, right? And that's where... He says, no, I'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do is to stick by her with the hopes that she'll be okay, but maybe with the hopes that that relationship can continue in some way if she comes out of this. So 
that along with the the portrayal of her parents seeing things in a different way. You know, you, you think, well, these are the parents of a child. They're going to do the same thing that they think is right for her. But the fact that one parent can feel one way and the other parent can feel totally different and there can be real conflict there because there's so much at stake. I mean, that that is real. That happens. And the way it's played here where all, you know, Kamel and her parents, all three of them have a little bit different opinions or even wildly different opinions about what should be done to help her and what's best for her. And the fact that Kamel really kind of has the least invested in this, but he he's hanging on to it because he knows ultimately he he's not responsible for it, but he's witness to it. And so I, I think that's, that's why I found powerful in this film is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter um, your, your level of ex- experience or history with the person. It matters your commitment. It matters what you're really willing to do. And if you're really willing to do the right thing, can you do it? I, I really enjoyed this film and, and maybe because, you know, I've had my own experiences with dealing with people who are close to me, who've been in medical emergencies and, and, you know, serious illness being a factor and, and having to be that person that's by their side. And even if they don't know it, but being there and, and the helplessness that comes with that is, it's sometimes really hard to, to work through. But the fact that you're doing it, one, because it's the right thing, two, because you care about the person, and three, because they may not have anybody else that's truly on their side. All of those things, I think, I mean, they, they, they pull you closer to that person. And if things go well and things are resolved, hopefully that person understands that. And that's even a point in this film where they don't play that like just magic, like, oh, she wakes up, she gets better, and she's in love with him now. It doesn't work that way, which is that's sometimes how it goes. And so the fact that everything is a challenge about this, I mean, that is the way, that's my, at least my experience with it, and I'm sure that's a lot of people's experience, that it's this is always hard. Life is just always going to throw a curveball at you, and so it's about how you handle it, how you stick in the game and don't let up and just do the right thing and things will be okay in one way or another. And so I, I was really, you know, it's funny. Look, it's a funny film. It's a comedy. So it's got a lot of great comedy and there's other comedians that are in the film also, but it's also got a lot of heart, which I really like. I, I like that. This is a film that doesn't pull punches either way. Like you can feel there's a real chemistry and real, relationship with these characters but you can also feel like they're just having fun with it i it's it's really hard i mean it's a really fine line to walk but i think this one really does it well and so i would recommend this also so that's the big sick from 2017 check it out all right look at that it's another week of the big film streak how about that that's another seven films down i you know maybe one of these will be your valentine's day kind of uh uh, something that'll hit home for you, I guess. Check one of them out if you like. Um, 
I don't know. We'll see what comes next week. Uh, just trying to trying to group these together, make these into like a little bit of a theme. That that's been fun. Now that I've been doing it that way, so maybe we'll continue. Otherwise. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out. If you would like to know more, see some other episodes, uh, subscribe. You know, it's an Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, uh, wherever you get podcasts. That's where it is. And you go to filmstreak.com. You can find episodes there, find links to subscribe there. So until next time, keep watching. Keep streaking. Keep, I don't know. I don't have like a sign off. I don't think. But I don't know. Watch movies. How about that? Just keep watching movies.